I've lived in New Jersey my entire life. I've been a fiction writer, actor, playwright, blogger, gourmet chef, home renovator, event planner, landscape architect, and decorator. Now, I'm married to a professional drummer who is also an award-winning photographer, so the arts have always been really important to me. There are so many people in New Jersey that are involved in the arts, and I am planning to talk to all of them. Well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And I'm inviting you to listen in. I'm Lucille Sapio, talking arts and culture, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. My guest this week is a guy who doesn't fit in an easy mold. Jason Goldstein is what you might call a performing arts entrepreneur and producer. But boy, when you hear about the things that he's done, everything from building a college musical theater company that's lasted over 23 years to producing his own off-Broadway show, Chuckle Ball, and even starting a successful ticketing business, where does it stop? (laughs) Well, this week, Jason and I are going to talk about all of those things and our alma mater, which is Livingston College, which no longer exists. Hello, Jason. Hello, how are you today? I'm good. It's so good to meet you. Jason is one of the few people that I actually don't know that I'm interviewing, so this is always fun for me. Well, hopefully by the end you'll know me very well. Maybe more than you want me to. Perhaps. (laughs) So you have been a writer, producer, entrepreneur, business developer, and tons of other things. There's multiple skills. I want to ask you what your strongest skill is, but before you answer that, give us just a quick summary of the trajectory of your career. And I know it's going to be hard, but give Um, us an idea of the trajectory. So how do I get to this spot? I always responded to anything theatrical or musical, whether there was a little play in school or we had to do a little skit or whatever. I would watch The Muppet Show, I'd see Kermit the Frog, and what I really responded to Kermit was that he got to stretch all these different muscles. He would be stroking Miss Piggy's ego, he's talking to Scooter about paying for the the building, he's trying to get the next scenery on, and then he'd run out in front of the audience Mm -hmm. and be like, we got a great number, here's the singing whatever. And he's doing these different things, and I like that. And so whenever there was an opportunity to do that, I would do it. My music teacher in elementary school, she let me kind of help run the chorus and build Mm. that up. Just anything with lights and costumes, it got very exciting. And I was also very entrepreneurial. So whenever I could, you know, set up a little lemonade stand or whatever, I got excited about that. And so having this interest in kind of logistics and playing was great. So then when I was around eight or nine, I started having kids come over to put on shows. So that was kind of the start of the theater world. I started to get involved with community theater and school theater. They'd yell at me. They'd go, you don't know your lines. You don't know your block. And I said, yeah, but I just got us free lumber and Girl Scouts to come to the matinee. And <laughs> it wasn't the- so much the acting. It was the whole environment. Yeah, it was everything. I want to know how every little piece worked. And my parents were super, super uh, supportive. You know, they removed all the furniture from our living room. So I had a place to rehearse. And so chapter one, I guess, would be running my own theater and working in, in these theater environments. The next piece was going to college. And when I got to college, I started my freshman year at Livingston, this musical theater company. And they're now in their 23rd season. They do three or four musicals a year, full orchestra and sets and costumes. And that was great because I got to do what I was doing as a kid, but on a on a bigger level with a bigger audience. It was kind of succeeding. So that felt good. And I could learn from that. And then I was reinforcing everything I was learning in my classes 
if we were studying public relations, I was like, oh, well, let me write these press releases for the theater. Yeah, so you were actually applying what so you were learning. I was applying it. So that was great. And then in the summers, I'd work in New York for some producers and dabble in that world to learn about if I liked that or not. Then post that, I said, while I was doing grad school, what could be kind of a long-term theatrical project? So I developed Chuckle Ball. I also uh, wrote a Christmas song. I did a variety of different things. And then after that, I did some large-scale event planning and marketing consulting. And I worked with a bunch of theaters on things and then I fell into by accident the ticket business and that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years and have come to love yes I miss some of the creative you know I'll still sit at the piano and write songs and things but I'm loving it it's it's great and so that's where I get to now when you were staging your childhood theatrical ventures what parts did you play actor director producer or all of the above I've never really considered myself an actor. I've always been producer-director type. I like organizing and putting things together. I always kind of look at it as like a funnel in terms of what you're worrying about, right? So the producer would be the top of the funnel, everything. And then as you focus it down to the bottom, the actor's thinking about that moment. And I don't feel that I have the, the focus to do that because great actors have to be in that moment. And if I'm in that moment, but I'm worrying about, do we have enough toilet paper in the bathrooms? <laughs> it's not healthy, I think. And, you know, I think we all play to our strengths. Chuckle Ball was produced off-Broadway at the Producers Club Theater in New York and various other venues. Tell me a little bit about the show and, and about the offshoots that came from it. The two big runs in New York were the original, it was just a five-week run at the Producers Club. Our bigger run was at the Snapple Theater on West 50th and Broadway in 2007. We struggled because there was a big strike. That was the time of the, uh, mm. the the Broadway strike. Right. And we would constantly update it. So in 2004, when we did it, you know, the, the topics were, you know, the Janet Jackson mishap at the Super Bowl and steroids and baseball. What was the premise of the show? So the show is a musical review. We take famous songs and rewrite the lyrics about what's going on in sports mm. news. And sometimes that's the day of the show. We took kind of the concept from Forbidden Broadway and uh, Capital Steps. We said, hey, if you can make fun of Broadway and you can make fun of politics, why not make fun of sports, which is such a major part of our country? The idea was similar. It was kind of a, a traditional blackout review. You do a number, the lights come down, you do another number, and uh, there's a bazillion costumes and, and wigs and jerseys and what have you. And you didn't need to know much about sports. So for instance, we did a number about George Foreman. To the tune of uh, My Girl, we did My Grill, all about how he's promoting the grill. And, you know, in the ring, he used to stake his eye, and now he rips it off his face and cooks it and that kind of stuff. And sometimes the songs would go in that night. So even though you weren't really an athlete as a kid, am I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you ended up picking on athletics. Yeah, in, in a way, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my passion and interest have always been more to the arts. I was born a producer. I've always liked coordinating and putting things together. When I was at Livingston College... Oh, I like talking about Livingston. I was in Midsummer Night's Dream, directed by Eric Krebs. And I noticed that you've worked with Eric in his theatrical management company. That was um, right about the time he was opening George Street Playhouse. So how was it like working with Eric? A little brief history of my relationship with Rutgers. I knew I wanted to go to Livingston. Well, I knew originally I wanted to go to Rutgers because I didn't know how all the colleges worked. I, I saw Livingston. I said, that's the place for me. But I wanted to figure out kind of where my theatrical muscles would be uh, stretched. And so at the time when I came in in the fall of 98, the only theater was really over at Mason Gross. I said, oh, this is fertile ground. I'm going to start something and started this 
organization there, which we can get into. But when I did my research about what had been at Livingston, I saw the, you know, how the old officers club was mm -hmm. the, the Livingston Theater building and how there was a theater department doing amazing things and Eric Krebs and Avery Brooks and yeah, all of that Cindy stuff. Cindy Hibbert. I'm yeah, not, yeah, yeah. So I knew of Eric Krebs that way. But I knew that I wanted to do something with the theater department and, and take some classes. I wound up making up my own major. I always joke I have a BA and BS, <laughs> but I had to get a third from the theater department, a third from the business school, a third from communication and minor in music. So I, so I met Eric Krebs. I went up to him and I said, I'd like to take your course theater management. This is my first experience with Eric. And he said, that's like a really high level, 400 level class. That's, you know, for our senior, juniors and seniors. And I was just, at the time, I think a sophomore. And I said, well, I started this theater company at Livingston. I've worked in New York for some producers. I think I, I'll be okay. He said, okay, come, you can take the class. And so I would take the class and ask Eric all these very specific questions that I, I don't know. I think it might've gotten lost on some of the other kids in the class, but yeah. I was really thirsty. and. And because of that, he and I became very friendly, and he asked me to do some work for him in the city with his theaters, and uh, yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. Most people don't think of art and business going together, but you realize that having a graduate degree in business had some real value. How did you come to this conclusion? Well, I had started the theater company as an undergrad, ran it for four years, and they said, hey, you want to go to grad school for free and advise some clubs? So I said, what should I major in? And I looked at I, I did different degrees, but I said, you know, I think the MBA may give me some more credibility and what mm -hmm. have you. I hated it. It was horrible. By the end, I said <laughs> to my entrepreneurship advisor, because uh, it was so finance and corporate, which is not what I am. I said, can I just uh, do a documentary interviewing famous uh, entrepreneurs from Rutgers? He's like, sure, go ahead. So I interviewed the founder of ESPN and Mario Batali, and it was just... Oh, I didn't uh, know Mario yeah, Batali yeah, went there. Yeah. yeah, I just felt like it would be easier to do that than sit through these boring uh, you know, classes on stocks and bonds and stuff. Maybe it's different now, but it was really I dry. It. I look at business very creatively and I look at art kind of logistically. I think of business not <clears throat> traditionally. I was in advertising for a long time, radio advertising mostly. It's that amalgam of art and science. There's the art of how, what you're saying and how you're saying it, but there's also that science of how do you reach the right amount of people and how many do you have to reach? And is reaching more people more important than reaching the same people multiple times? And that's when I got interested in the stuff that's, that you learn in business school, not when I was in business school. It's that practical application that, that I think they miss that a lot. Right. I mean, I think in my undergrad, because I was taking communication classes side by side with business marketing classes, it was a great combo. But I think the communication classes were actually more effective in how to develop message design. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, behavioral psychology and those kinds of things to connect to people in a way that marketing sometimes I think missed the boat a little. Because the facts are just the facts. Like you want to get to like the core of people. You can read about somebody, like I read about you, but you're probably you're like, nothing, oh, this guy's going to be so dry. You're, you're nothing like your biography sounds. It's not a very accurate representation. What were you expecting? I didn't think I'd like you. Really? Yeah. I didn't think I would like you from reading your bio. And do you like me? Yeah, okay, I, I wouldn't yeah, have, yeah, I wouldn't I'm, have I'm said kidding, that. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know what I think it is? The word producer traditionally is used for like the money people, the suits, the whatever. But I'm a creative. But I don't like to use the word creative because then I think it discounts the logistical. Yeah. It's funny because most people, I think, get into producing or directing from acting. Mm -hmm. And I was never, like, I did some shows in high school. I was Teddy and Arsenic and All Lace in high school. Okay, great. But 
I was always. Yeah. I remember one year I was like, I don't even want to be in the show. I just want to be the producer. Yeah, and I, and I was always the opposite. I want to be in the show. I have friends who always say you should get back into to it. I, you know, I did some background work on the uh, marvelous Mrs. Maisel show. Oh, I love that love show. Love that show. I love the show. Love I the wrote show. to the casting people and I said I just want to be in the show somewhere, and they said, okay, we'll put you in the background. And, did you? Yeah. Which and, which episode? Uh, season three. There's an episode where the two moms are yelling at each other in outside the house, and there's like all these bystanders, like what's oh, Going on. I'm like, you can see me. Oh, and I'm also great. in a couple of the deli scenes. But I mean, it would be fun to, I think, go back to that. So everybody's familiar with Ticketmaster, but I didn't hear of your company Book Ticks until I read your bio. So how do you complete with that elephant in the room? Ticketmaster really isn't our competitor. The world of ticketing, and there's about 300 online ticket companies out there, and every venue and every producer is using one of these ticket systems to sell their tickets. Mm -hmm. We did Chuckleball off-Broadway, and we used Ticketmaster, and it was fine. But when we did the show in 09, we did a, a run in Philly, and I needed a ticket system. And I looked at, I don't know, 10 or 12 of these companies, and I was like, these stink. Like, <laughs> so why do they stink? I think that they weren't intuitive. Some of these companies are built by technical people. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're not intuitive for non-tech people. It's all tech, 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 tech. They don't yeah. know how to speak the language. Some of these are built by artists. And that's great, but is it safe? Is it secure? Yeah, they it, don't know the technology. They don't know the technology. They don't know the business. Some are just built by companies that are just trying to make money, but they don't really know that in theater we need a comp and we need to reserve these seats and we mm -hmm. have this and that and coupon codes. And then they may not get the tech. Luckily, with this interdisciplinary experience, I'm like, I think we could maybe build something great. So for the show I was doing, I contacted a friend of mine who actually took over the theater at, at Livingston and Rutgers when I graduated. He was a freshman when I was a senior, so I kind of handed it off to him. And we had built kind of a rudimentary online box office, but it just kind of, you know, it was just for the theater. And so I said to my friend Tim, I said, why don't we dust that off and maybe you could help me build this for the show I was doing. And then just altruistically, we're like, let's give this away to schools. Let's just help some schools. And organically, it exploded and turned into kind of the de facto system. 80, 80 85% of our clients are school theater. It became the way schools in this country hmm. do theater. And with it, it wasn't just box office, but it was helping elevate their programs, teaching them some marketing concepts so that the little drama club down the street isn't just, you know, having parents throw $10 in a cash box, but actually reserving seats and doing promo codes on Facebook and, and increasing audience. What's the website? It's uh, So booktix.com, B-O-O-K-T-I-X.com is our uh, kind of our page for people who are putting on shows mm -hmm. but each organization gets their own unique themed box office for whatever the local school is or organization but this past year during covid we we went nuts and we wound up um developing a whole streaming platform so we have schools actually internationally hmm. uh streaming their shows over the internet and we had to work with all the licensing partners and authors and it's been really fun and so you're making a living off of this oh yeah book ticks has been around 10 years and i'd say in year two or three i had to stop doing all my other hmm. things just to to work on it and i i love it but it's 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 my full-time thing yeah if you were able to relive one year of your past which one would it be? And, of course, why? Well, you know, I, I'm really appreciative of everything I've been through because you, you don't get here without, you know, right. things. And I've learned from, quote-unquote, failures. But if I could go back knowing what I know now, I probably would go back to maybe high school. I think I was a little too focused on 
producing and putting things together and seeing my career path that I wasn't really in I don't want to say enjoying is the wrong word yeah. but ex the experience maybe it was too meta I was watching the experience rather than being, being in the experience of yeah it's sort know? of like now with people always have to be filming something that's happening instead of just being a part of it happening right you know if you're having a party and everyone's eating and enjoying but you keep walking into the kitchen and getting the food at the end of the party, everyone said, how was the party? You were like, well, I didn't really ever talk to anybody. See, I like making the food. I like doing that all, but then I miss out on the experience. Right. So if you had the opportunity to work with any actor, director, producer, dead or alive, who would that be? I probably would have liked to work closely with Hal Prince. I met him a couple times. I was developing some work and I met with him in his office a few times. Every experience I've ever had with him or read about him, he seems like he really kind of got it. So what do you think influenced theater more in the past decade? Technology, creativity, or diversity? Well, I was going to say, sadly, I think it's the other one is, is money. I think that mm. the, the money has influenced it because people are conflating the commercial and the artistic. And so I think that's a negative influence. If you're looking for a more positive influence, I think it's always creativity. So there's a million people right now in their garage that have a little band or wrote a song or whatever that will never get signed to a label. And then mm -hmm. there's other people who are signed to labels that are horrible. Yes. And so it's not about the good necessarily. It's about how kind of the luck and the commerce and it all kind of works together. And I think one of, one of the keys to my success is that I'm just willing to do the work that people don't like to do. Yeah. How many people will have a show that'll never get produced? Well, if you're foolish enough to rent a building and find money and put up flyers and tell the world to come and be willing to lose all that money and whatever, you too could have a show yeah. that fails. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not, it's not that hard. It's just <laughs> people are waiting for someone else. You and I both went to Livingston College and I know Livingston is really different from when I went there. Can you compare like the 70s to, to when yeah, you went or to uh, today? Absolutely. I love Livingston. I and why did you pick it? A guy I know said that Rutgers University became what Livingston was. Mm. And what he meant by that was that so much of the forward thinking of the university comes from Livingston. And sadly, the university, I think sometimes, I don't fully even understand Livingston. But to me, Livingston was the gem of Rutgers. So for the 50 years Livingston was around, that should be one of the most cherished pieces of its history. Livingston, when it started, as I'm sure you probably know, was going to be different. Livingston was going to be this social science experiment. Right. Non-traditional. Non-traditional. I really see Livingston kind of in terms of its the, the connection to, to it as bookends. I think the first chapter and the last chapter had very clear missions and the people were connected. I think there was a period of time where Livingston was kind of thought of as just this other thing mm. and kind of forgotten because people didn't really know what to do with it. But then in 1980-81, the Blaustein merger, when they merged all the departments, a lot of the flavor of Livingston kind of disappeared. And so now you're going through the 80s and into the 90s where it's kind of just the little stepbrother to Rutgers College. When I got there at the end of the uh, 90s, Livingston was trying to do this rebirth and trying to figure out its mission. And at the time, their big push was leadership. They wanted to say, we're going to develop student leaders and develop a community. And there was always strength through diversity as well. So when I was looking at places to go, I was like, wow, I can get this small college experience in the large university. Exactly. And as an entrepreneur, I go, doesn't the arts usually revitalize, you know, mm -hmm. cities that are falling apart? 
You always build a sports complex or a theater and restaurants in a terrible yeah. town. And then before you know it, the rent goes up like Asbury Park was mm-hmm. turned around. or whatever. So I'm like, hmm, this is a this is a great place to be a big fish in a small pond. And I think the arts could really thrive here. So on the first day of school, when I said, I'm going to start the this musical theater company, people are like, who's going to come on a Saturday night to Livingston parking lot and watch tap dancing? Are you nuts? This is not the campus. But I could foresee how this could bring a confidence to this college, Mm -hmm. especially with these missions of strength through diversity. There's nothing more diverse than putting on a show. Shaping community, we can shape it. And leadership opportunity. So to me, I was very attracted to those ideas. I got very charged up by Livingston. Mm. I thought that the spirit and the energy of it was great. And I, 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 I love it. Okay, this is going to be my last question, Jason, and this has really been a lot of fun. What do you think your epitaph is going to be, or what would you like it to be? I think the thing that people may not realize about me is what drives me. I'm not driven by money. I'm not driven by power. I'm driven about making people happy and smiling and laughing and thinking. I like to inspire happiness and joy, and so... I would like to be remembered as someone who, by making a production out of anything, which we're going to have lunch, let's set up balloons, let's do it, like just making an experience special and fun and exciting because I want people to be happy and I, I want people to be the best they can be in life and do things that create positivity. I would like something that was like, you know, he made us smile. Yeah, he made us smile. Yeah. He made us sing. He made us laugh and think. And, you know, yeah, well, I made us smile. Smile's good. That's a nice thing to be remembered for. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Jason. This has really been a great time. Too bad I couldn't make you smile. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Thank you. I love the arts, and I love to talk, and that's why I'm talking to local artists. And if you like listening, then subscribe to my podcast. You can do it on this page, on iTunes, or anywhere you get podcasts. I'm Lucille Sapio, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk.